Hey guys, welcome back to the Phil Craft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and on today's episode, we're doing part two of off-road survival rigs. You know, last episode was hopefully an informative episode. In part one, we covered vehicle choices, four by fours versus two by fours, lockers, gears, manual versus auto considerations, towing and winching capabilities, you know, all the external accessories like bumpers, foot skirts, side steps, rear bumpers. Today's episode, we're going to cover down on rack systems, you know, the drawer systems that you use in the back of the vehicle, tank considerations, living inside of your vehicle or outside of your vehicle, weapon systems that you would carry potentially in your vehicle, and then how do you fight from your vehicle. Also, we'll talk about some survival equipment, and I'll give you a couple war stories about my experiences using different survival and tactical equipment on long-range operations inside of a vehicle. So hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you got any questions, please feel free to hit us up at media at fieldcraftsurvival.com. All right, so as I record this, I'm sitting inside of a hotel room, staring at a window, looking at Zion National Park. You know, Zion National Park is in southern Utah, and it's one of the most amazing national parks in the United States of America. I love it here. This is my second time here. And I fell in love with it the first time that I came through here on my motorcycle. And I had the opportunity today to do some off-road venturing and hiking around, but most importantly, using my off-road rig to get me to remote locations around the area. In fact, if you guys are watching this podcast, you might've seen the social media posts, either on Facebook, Twitter, and more than likely it's a picture of me in this environment recording this podcast, which is a pretty cool experience. I love getting into nature. I love getting into remote areas because it allows me to clearly think and clearly compose ideas and thoughts, record podcasts, write articles, do my marketing stuff. It's awesome for me to get off the grid. And I love these moments. You know, as I headed out from further up north in Utah, coming down south, I decided that I was just going to wing it. I typically wing it. And what I mean by wing is I don't have a deliberate or hasty plan. I just kind of go where I go. And if I see an opportunity, because I see a dirt road, I'll take that dirt road and go off the beaten path. And as I was doing this today, it's funny because I took a back road that took me up into the canyon before Zion National Park. And I was able, while I had reception, to pull up the maps and see that this dirt road actually led into a back way into Zion National Park. And what's pretty amazing to think about is these back roads that aren't really advertised, they're not on most GPS systems or maps, that's where you're more than likely to experience a pretty epic adventure. I was back on this high road and it started seeking elevation and before I knew it, I was at the top of this canyon that ran on the outer edge of Zion. And as I was climbing or ascending, there was cool little places to pull off and then you could hike up to higher elevation. And, you know, I brought my camera, I was taking pictures, I brought my dog, Pearl, and it was just an epic time, man, and I loved it. One thing that did occur to me, though, is where I had parked my vehicle and where I was walking, there was pretty rough terrain, and there was a river valley that led up to waterfalls, there's boulders everywhere, and I thought to myself, like, hey, if I broke my leg out here, it's off-season, there's not a lot of people out here. If I broke my leg, or even if Pearl got hurt, I would have to hike out and move overland with whatever I had. I was crawling in between boulders and I imagined getting sandwiched in. It reminded me of that one movie, which is based off of a book 
based on a real situation where the guy got pinned and he had to cut off his arm because his arm got pinned and he cut it off with a Gerber. But you could easily, in this area of remoteness, end up in that type of situation. And I just want to stress the importance, number one, of whatever you have on your person, whatever you carry with you, think of that as your everyday kit carry into remote locations. You know how you have an everyday carrier, EDC, and you're going to movies, you're going out to eat, you're just doing your normal routine. Well, you should have the same exact thing pre-planned for the little adventures that you do. You know, if you're a hiker, a runner, whatever it may be, there's horror stories and case studies for days about people who have left out on these little ventures and got themselves in a shitty situation and they crawled out, they passed away, they got injured. You know, it just turns into catastrophe. So just be prepared and ready for the worst case scenario. And now I'm not saying pack out a ruck every single time you go out because you have to have a contingency. No. What I'm saying is there's minimalist kits available. Hell, today I got an opportunity to bring out my minimalist survival kit that we sell on the website at philcraftsurvival.com. You know, our Green Beret minimalist survival kit is what I carried on active duty, what I carried as a contractor. It's almost four by six. It's very small, but it has all the things that you need just in case things go bad. And, you know, whether it's that, whether it's a survival type homemade kit or a first aid kit, have contingencies in place. You know, I stuff all this stuff inside of a Patagonia fly fishing bag and it's the Stealth Atom and it's all there. It's convenient. I have food and chow and water. You know, I brought my little life straw, which I'm a big fan of because on the go, when I know there's fresh water sources, I just use the life straw and I drink straight from the water source. Well, you know, those things are important. If things go really bad, which they can in these environments, you have to be prepared. On top of that, you know, the remoteness in which you do these little ventures, your vehicle is like the base station. We call it a patrol base. You know, this is like the logistical hub. It's like a big ass rucksack. And when we conducted operations in Iraq and Afghanistan or in these long range movements, you had to plan accordingly based off this long range movement to be able to operate off your vehicle and then do operations leaving your vehicle behind and offsetting from that so you could conduct business. But then when you come back to it, it's literally your lifeline. It's a logistics hub that has all your stuff, your food, your water, your bullet resupply, you know, whatever it may be. It had everything because it has the space and ability to carry it. So remember that, you know, if you operate out of your vehicle, let's say you, you live in Utah or you live in one of these beautiful remote areas and you mountain bike, well, you know, carry a fanny pack with a little first aid kit with maybe a little emergency transponder, whatever it may be, a minimalist survival kit, and then have something at the vehicle where if you get back to the vehicle and you have to upgrade your situation, which we say in special operations, you could do it. You know, you might have a small first aid kit on your person, you know, mounted to your bike and something goes wrong. Well, at least you can get back to your vehicle and get to a big aid bag or first aid bag to get to a better level or a higher level of care. And that goes with food, water, every compartment or department of survival. All right, so let's move on to the next subject matter in off-road survival rigs. If you couldn't tell already, I love off-road survival rigs. In part one, I told you all the things that we talked about. Number one, hey, let me apologize for the quality of audio in part one. If you could listen carefully and imagine Pearl, my dog, my Malinois, running around with her little collar bouncing around, that's what you hear most of the time. So 
If you didn't listen to it because that bothered you, just go back and listen and imagine it as Pearl. It won't bother you as much, but I'll try to minimize that next time. You know, today I was hiking around with Pearl and I was by a stream and it was a beautiful waterfall that led into a stream and there was nobody there. It was completely remote. And I actually wanted to record my podcast there. And I had the water in the background, which was soothing for me, but my mic picked up everything. So I was like, no, there's no way I could do that. So I decided to wait till now. Being in these remote areas with an off-road rig is a perfect opportunity, whether you're with your family, you know, leading into a canyon when I was going into a canyon with Pearl today, a family came out and it was pretty cool to see because it was pretty tough terrain to be in, but as a family, they were in it. Well, those are perfect opportunities for you to take advantage of this type training or this type thought process and plan accordingly. You know, get all the equipment that you need, go out with your off-road capable vehicle, get to a remote location, and then actively adventure off your off-road survival rig. So, you know, the next thing that we're going to talk about is internal drawer systems and food and water storage. I don't have an internal storage system yet. Uh, It's on my bucket list. But There's a couple considerations when thinking about putting these kind of things in the back of your vehicle. One is, is it right for your lifestyle? You know, do you have a dog? Do you have kids? Do you need the room? Because if you put a drawer system inside of the back of your off-road vehicle, it's going to take up a lot of space. But it's a good opportunity for you to be able to organize stuff and know that you have certain specific drawers for food, for water, for whatever you need. I like to be a minimalist kind of guy when it comes to certain things. And I was more likely a bag guy. You know, I took these three V bags. I took these North face bags that are water resistant and I put stuff in them and I put them in the back. The problem with the bag system is it's hard to access. I I started to realize that, you know, being on the road the last week, anytime I needed something like say if I needed dog food or pearls treats, well, instead of just like having a cluster F of, stuff all over my truck, I would just put it in the bags in the back of the vehicle. Because, you know, I'm not doing this all the time, every hour on the hour. But when I go back, I'd have to like pull everything out to get to it. And then the next thing you know, I have piles of bags. The bags are cool because, you know, you could put a duffel type bag inside the back of your vehicle. And then when you need to access it, you could access it. And then when you need to move away from your vehicle, you could put it on your back. Well, there's some stuff that I feel like needs to stay with the vehicle. Just like I told you about it being a supply hub, it needs to stay there. You know, one of those things is food. You don't need excess amounts of food if you hike away from your vehicle. More than likely, you're not camping out more than 72 hours away from your vehicle. So you could have the main supply of food in a drawer inside of a drawer compartment or storage compartment inside the back of your vehicle. You know, some people put it in tough boxes or Pelican cases or aluminum cases. That's absolutely fine as well. The key is, you know, you want to keep it dry, you want to keep it cool, and you want to be able to protect it from the elements. You know, so if you're running a Pelican case on the top of your roof rack in the summertime, whatever you have in there, if it's going to be adversely affected by the sun, more than likely it's going to spoil or whatever is going to happen to it, it's going to happen on top of the roof because the plastic is going to retain that heat. So, The drawer system concept is, you know, hey, let's take the back of the cab and the back compartment that would typically be utilized as a trunk and make it more organized. You know, they make good systems. You know, actually, I don't even know the names of good systems. I've been, 
you know, turned on to a couple companies that offer these systems, but I haven't even looked into it. They're, one, they're hella expensive, but to me, it's worth the money, especially if you do a lot of stuff off-road and venturing, camping, overlanding, that kind of stuff. So, you know, you get this system and it fills up this back cab area of space. And people will first say, well, I, I want that space. I want to be able to put stuff back there. Well, most of these systems are modular, meaning you could take them out and you could put them back in and it doesn't always have to be in there or you have the ability to pull a drawer system out where it comes out on rails where you could have that space in the back when you need it. And then when you don't need it, you could push it forward. So let, let's say your dog travels with you. Well, if your dog travels with you in the back seat and then he needs room because you got to your campsite, well, you could pull these drawer systems out all the way. And now the dog has his own little doggy section, uh, his little space reserved for him. So it's worth the effort. It's worth the money in putting this system in place because now you could store all the things you need and it's organized. I would recommend, number one, having at least a three-day supply of food. A three-day supply of food, you could actually buy weeks supplies of food in dehydrated mills. And there's a whole bunch of companies. I don't want to name one specific company, but basically their mill is ready to eat and it's just dry or dehydrated food. And they're actually really good. And you could pile them up in a drawer and now you have a drawer. You could put a little label on it and you could say, hey, this is you know one week supply of chow or three days supply of chow. And that's always there. If anything goes wrong, let's say you're not into camping, you're into glamping. Well, you try to go get a hotel room. You can't get a hotel room and you're in the middle of two significant towns and you're hungry. Well, you pull over to a rest area, you pull out your little stove, you pull out your little dehydrated meal, your camp food, and you can have these little epic meals, jambalaya, you could have you know Thai food, coconut curry, like all these little epic meals that you can have. But now you have it reserved just in case something happens or maybe you're doing an extended camping session using your vehicle as a base station and now you have this on person. You could be camping, utilizing your vehicle like an MSS. You know, in sniper operations, we use the MSS or mission support site or main supply site. And the mission support site provides all the you know, logistical support to all the surveillance and overwatch positions or the sniper team positions. So obviously, I'm not going to hump out a whole bunch of food to the middle of an OP overwatching bad guys. What I'll do is when they need food, where they send one of their snipers back and they recover food from the MSS, which is further away from the bad guys. So the same concept with the vehicle is, you know, the vehicle might be parked at the last parking site or the last camping site. And now you can go more remote and stay in the back country. And then when you need to get resupply, you go back to your vehicle to get resupplied. The next drawer system you could use is obviously with water. There's a whole bunch of cool options with storing water, but also with storing and keeping things cool. There's these refrigerator systems where, you know, they work off of reserve power systems. You know, I use a uh, portable power pack from National Luna, but you can have this system that basically it uses the battery, the reserve battery power, and allows you to have a mini fridge or a mini freezer in the back of your vehicle. And that's real cool because if, you know, you bring food out and you're not into eating processed stuff or you want to have cold drinks, you could keep stuff cool. And that's always a benefit, you know, whether it's for morale or you literally need to keep meat or vegetables cool, you could do it now. You know, consideration for the storage bins are also guns and ammo. When you put a gun case inside your vehicle, if it's not stored properly, 
that's kind of unsafe. You know, if you have kids, if you have even just leaving in your vehicle period and out, it's pretty unsafe. So getting a drawer system for your M4, for your ammo, for your pistols, and you get to the range or you get to wherever you're going, now you have a lockable bin that you can put all your stuff in instead of it leaving it out inside of your vehicle. You know, you could have a $1,500 Cherokee and then have a $1,500 rifle in the back of your vehicle. You probably want to put it into a storage bin or put it in something lockable uh, just to make it a little bit more difficult for anybody who's trying to get access to that. So my main plan is to have that drawer system in the back and then have the ability for me to basically open up my CBI bumper, which is the dual swing arm bumper, and then fold these little tables down so I could have, you know, basically a little kitchen. You know, I have food right there and I'll have the ability to fold down these tables and then cook off of them. So I have this little consolidated area that's my designated kitchen. All right, so moving on to tents. Tents for off-road vehicles have changed so much in the last 10 years. It's awesome. I mean, you can get virtually any style of tent for the top, for the side, for the back. If you have a pickup truck, it's pretty epic what you could do with tents. You know, the drawbacks of the tents are the higher end tents are going to run you $1,500 or more. I have a easy on tent. I actually ordered an easy on tent that's going to be delivered to me this week. And then I'm going to install it and start using it. But I got the easy on jazz model, the easy on it's E E Z I dash A W N. It's easy on, it's a South African company and they make some epic tents, man. I mean, these tents are high quality. You know, I got turned on these tents from uh, Mike from Overland Bound. It's at Overland Bound on social media. But, you know, that community and Mike are subject matter experts in their field. And I said, hey, man, what's the best tent? What's the best quality tent? He's like, easy on. I was like, done. You know, so I got the easy on 1400. The easy on Jazz 1400 is, you know, it's a ripstock canvas, double stitch. It has aluminum bows. It has polyurethane coated ply boards. It's supported with like aluminum hardware. So it's light. It has a soft foam mattress. It's really a minimalist type design, so it's lightweight and it fits a certain space and allows me to have additional space on my roof rack instead of taking up the whole thing. It's a two-person tent. I only need room for me and Pearl. And it comes off the side because of the hatch that comes off the back. So small type tent, I could pop it up in a couple seconds and I could sleep anywhere where my car is parked. And that's an awesome feature in an off-road capable vehicle because now wherever you're going, you have the ability to run or rest overnight anywhere. Coming from somebody who travels a lot of the time on the road, there's national parks, there's campsites all over the United States. And really there's no need to stay in a hotel. I stay in hotels most of the time because I have to use the technology to, to have access to the internet and do other things that are work related. But when I can, especially with this roof tent, now I'm going to be able to pop a camp air mattress up into the top tent and load out and stay private off the grid. Some other options for tents are these pop shell, these fiberglass hold pop shell tents. My other buddy, Mike, who you know I do off-road stuff with, he's got this pop shell concept. And the only thing I don't like about them is the length of the actual tent takes up most of all the roof rack. And I like to reserve some space on the roof rack for jerry cans and, and other stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're really cool tents because they're light. They're easy to go up. I think Mike was telling me he can get his up in like a minute, which is pretty cool because you just wind it and it has these cross arms that just elevate the tent. And now you have this little pod that goes over your off-road vehicle. 
you know, the one I have, it folds over. And when it folds over, you have to use this ladder to get up into it. The only downside of that that I could think of is, you know, I'm 225 pounds. Me laying on the hinge or the hinge side of that, that's just floating in space, being supported by a aluminum ladder, might not be the most comfortable thing. Well, if you have this pop-up version of it, you're literally laying on top of your vehicle on top of the roof rack so the weight is easily dispersed. You could also do single parking camping. So if you're in a rest stop, you know, if I had the side tent, you'd be taking up two spaces and that might not be a problem, but it might be a problem. So if you have the pop-up version, you could just park where you're parking, pop it up, climb up into it, zip it back down. And now you have your own little private space and a single parking spot. Look, if you look at the manufacturers of all these tents, it might disappoint you a little bit. If you go on Alibaba.com, which is, you know, Alibaba is the manufacturer's dream for getting anything manufactured in business, especially textiles and plastics and metals. Well, if you look at the major manufacturers, most of them are all produced in China. And there's nothing wrong with things that are produced in China because relatively it has good quality. And then when it's brought here, there's more quality control that goes into it, whether it's through the assembly process, whatever it may be. But most of these tents are marked up because of the freight shipping that has to be paid for that stuff to be imported. There are some good American companies that have tents like this, like the pop-up systems, but you just have to hit up the forums, talk to people who are in overlanding and get the best advice that you can. And I was told Easy On is one of the best companies. And you know, this coming from Mike from Overland Bound and I trust what he says. So I'm gonna go with that. Some other camping options are these four-wheel pop-up campers. You know, four-wheel pop-up campers or 4WH.com. They're a pretty good camp-up system for truck beds. And these things are pretty luxurious. You know, they're lightweight. They're durable, and you don't get this top-heavy, off-center-of-balance feel with these roof tents or these mega RV-style setups that go in the back of your truck bed. The good thing about the company full-wheel pop-up campers is it rides low until you get your campsite, and then it pops up, and it's all modular. It has all these cool interior features like countertops. You know, It's got vinyl floors, stainless steel, sinks, burners, all this cool stuff. You know, it's not my cup of tea because I'm a minimalist kind of guy when it comes to camping. Like <laughs> if I'm going to glamp, I'm going to be in a hotel. I don't like this in between. But if I go and I'm in my forerunner, I want, you know, a pop-up tent. I don't want to be sitting inside of a camper cutting vegetables on a marble slab or granite slab. But I think, you know, to be fair to the four-wheel pop-up camper, it's a good balance. You know, if you're an overlander, you get a pickup truck, it might be a good option. Another great option, in fact, I'm actually probably going to look down the road to use this option is utilizing one of these trailer systems where you tow, you know, this modular badass system that has the tent that has these drawer systems and they're two wheeled and they're lightweight and you can pull them with most every single SUV, four wheel drive, small pickup truck, big pickup truck, and it's made for camping. So when you're not camping, your vehicle can be utilized for, you know, personal purposes, the daily commute, everything else, the grocery getter. But when you want to go camping, you just hook up your little trailer and now you're off. They're very expensive, but you know, long term, if this is what you're into, it might be worth the money. If you pay attention to Instagram on social media, I encourage you to check out the Wild Yolo and the Jeep called Yeti. You know, I believe they're a couple. This couple is living off the grid for the most part in their Jeep, their TJ, and their trailer system like all the time. It's pretty cool to watch those guys do what they do because, you know, they're giving you the kit that they use and they're also giving you the vehicle and the setups that they use. And it's tested, it's proven. 
you know, these guys do it all the time. I, I think I talked to the Wild Yolo, and she was telling me that they do it full time. Like they live inside of their trailer. I'm sure they get little pit stops every once in a while, but I mean, that's what they do. That's their lifestyle, which is pretty awesome. All right, so let's move on to weapon systems and fighting from your vehicle. You know, I have this course, it's called the Off the Beaten Path course. And this course is designed to basically teach you to fight from your vehicle and survive from your vehicle. It's 29th through 30 April. It's in Fernley, Nevada. And you can see it on philcraftsurvival.com on the training course menu in the store. And the gist of it is when you're living in your vehicle, which is most of the time for most people as far as their commutes, it's at their house, it's parked at their house when things go wrong or they're in transit. I mean, you're around your vehicle a lot. So why not treat that as such, you know, treat it like a big go bag. So in the course, we teach survival aspects of living out of a go bag outside of your vehicle and also address the tactical considerations for fighting from inside your vehicle or underneath your vehicle or next to your vehicle. And that's a pretty important thing to understand. You know, I remember the course that I used to run early on when I started this company was called the Ops Course, Observe, Prepare, Survive. And it was a course designed to teach you to deal with stress in a survival situation. One part of the course, I taught people how to get out of the vehicle and fight with a carbine from the door jam of the vehicle. You know, in contracting, I did this. In the military, I did this because I rolled with an M4 or a carbine, no matter if I was the driver, the passenger, or riding in the back seat. And it's very difficult to do. It's very technical to do. You just can't pick up your carbine and jump out of the vehicle and anticipate getting in a gunfight and being fast and accurate. You have to practice that and you have to rehearse it. And, you know, the first time people do it, they hit the car, they bounce off the door, the door bounces back and hits them. They're not in the door jam. They're not using proper cover. And there's a whole bunch of considerations. Number one, a huge consideration is what are you going to travel with more than likely off the beaten path and do it often? You know, are you going to carry an M4 carbine, a 14.5 or 16 inch barrel? Are you going to carry a collapsible 300 blackout? And then where are you going to carry it? My recommendation for most people is, hey, you know, you're not in Iraq. You don't have to carry an M4, you know, in between your console and your seat and be able to get to it when you have to get to it. That's a consideration. That's an escalation of force, but that's not the first phase of it. The first phase of it is obviously having it tucked away. You know, I talked about these drawer systems, having it in a drawer system that's locked and obviously following the laws of your local jurisdiction. Another option is doing like the police officers do with their shotguns back in the day. Now their M4s is put a bracket system that holds the gun centerline. You know, you might be hunting and moving to a hunting site and you have to transport your gun. Well, you don't want to bag it out because you want to be able to access it and get off the road and take a shot maybe. Well, you could have it in that bracketed system. Or, you know, if you're running a pickup truck, you could run the mounts off the back window of a pickup truck. That's not a bad option either. When I'm carrying and anticipating using an M4 or a carbine, what I'll do is I'll collapse the stock, I'll fold up the sling and S-roll it and have it tucked up and neatly packaged right next to the M4. Because when you pull your rifle out of a vehicle, you don't want this two-point, this single point, whatever sling you use, you don't want it getting caught up on anything as you're trying to exit the vehicle. You know, when I was in Afghanistan, I rolled in a chopped Land Rover for most of my rotation. That was a nine-month rotation, so we lived off these vehicles often. I was running a Mark 19 or a 40 Mike Mike grenade launcher on the back of this vehicle, and then I had a shotgun sitting on the deck 
so I could address close threats like shotgun the front of engine compartments or vehicles if they got too close. And then I had my M4 slung around me with a pistol on my kit. And then behind me, I had a 249 machine gun and all this stuff I was surrounded with to be able to access as fast as possible. You know, that's a long range movement, expecting contact, expecting I'm going to run into a bad guy. You know, you don't obviously have to do that, but you need to have some reasonable expectation that when you upgrade your situation, you're going to be able to get to it. One consideration when fighting from a vehicle is what kind of cover are you going to provide yourself depends on where the contact's coming from. Let's say you're taking contact from the 12 o'clock or the front of the vehicle. Well, if you crack your door or crack the door jam, the V-notch that it creates between the door and the front A-pillar of the vehicle where the mirror is attached to, that front A-pillar is going to provide you the best coverage for protection from bullets. It's reinforced steel. It's not going to stop bullets, but it's going to deflect bullets as opposed to the aluminum or the soft sheeted metal inside your door. You know, people think for some reason, maybe it's because of Hollywood, that cars or vehicles stop bullets. They actually don't. I almost feel like in a way, they're just a bullet magnet. If I'm shooting at a guy from 300 meters and I'm trying to hit him, but now he's in a vehicle, he's a significantly bigger or larger target for me to shoot at. And so these rounds, whether it's, you know, 5.56 or 308, punch through this aluminum doors like butter. You know, if it's thin sheets, it's going to punch through that, and then it's going to punch through potentially the glass if the windows roll down, and then the plastic that makes up the interior panel. And it doesn't stop bullets at high velocity. That's the front of the vehicle. What are you going to do when you shoot up the side? Well, the contact might initiate from inside the vehicle. Like You're not going to wait to get out of the vehicle if you take contact on your driver's side. You're going to start shooting from the vehicle and then push out. Or hell, you might even break contact and push across the passenger side to get out the other side so you could use the cover behind the engine bay or behind the rear rotor or the rear axle. So some different considerations that, you know, hopefully you guys can come to this course 29, 30 April and join us. The coolest thing about this course is you bring your own rig. The price includes as many people as you could fit in your rig. And we basically drive around to different stations, do survival stuff and shoot guns. If you're ever in a survival situation and you have to survive living off of your vehicle, the best gun that I think for the application is going to be a Ruger 10-22. You know, a simple, I prefer the breakdown model, but a simple Ruger 10-22 that breaks down and you can stuff inside of a drawer. You could put inside of a Pelican case, but it's used to kill small game, including birds, rabbits, whatever it may be. And it could also be used for defense. So yeah, endless rabbit hole full of information as far as the tactical aspects of, of fighting or, or shooting from your vehicle. Hopefully a topic that will cover a lot more in detail at a latter episode. Okay, so let's talk about your survival bag, your blowout bag. You know, there's a podcast on just blowout bags, so I'm not going to go through a blowout bag. But remember, when you're looking at a vehicle, look at it as a big-ass rucksack. If you imagine that vehicle is a go bag, then all the things that you normally would have on the fly or on the go, now you could have a bigger and better version of it inside your vehicle. First aid is the biggest consideration. I would never go anywhere, especially because I've had firsthand experience in being the first responder on the scenes of accidents. I would never go anywhere, number one, without a first aid kit on the level of TCCC or tactical combat casualty care. I keep a North American Rescue small fanny pack first aid kit inside my vehicle at all times. 
The next thing I would never go without is a hatchet. I carry actually two hatchets inside of my vehicle. I carry a big battle axe that a buddy of mine made. And I also keep a Gerber Fisker hatchet. It has a synthetic handle on it. It's reliable. It can be used for defense. It can be used to chop down trees or remove obstacles. It can be used for breaching, you know, inside of a vehicle, out of a vehicle. It's a really key staple to survival period. If you look at fire kits as well, you know, fire starter kits, Inside my go bag, I have everything inside of like a small Pelican case. Well, now you have the opportunity to keep a Ziploc bag full of that stuff inside of your vehicle and a bigger form factor. I don't need to carry big lighters. I can carry big propane lighters. You know, this stuff isn't going to be typically in the elements because it's going to be protected by your vehicle. So go all out. Make this stuff appropriate. You know, get, get organized. It's going to be a fun thing. Get a Pelican case, a small Pelican case. Make little bins and each bin have fire have water procurement, have shelter, have signal, have all these things all wrapped up in one. And now it sits in the back of your vehicle. You don't think about it, but if shit happens and hits the fan, you're going to retain that. You know, it's weird to me because it's never really occurred to me before until I really started thinking about my combat operations working off of a vehicle. You don't need a lot of this stuff that you carry inside of a go bag. You know, go bags are good because you can grab them and roll out. If you're at work and you're inside your workplace and an earthquake strikes, well, you're in a crappy situation and you have to bug out as soon as possible. Well, you know, if you think about it, most of the time of where you're at, more than likely, you're going to have access to a vehicle. You're going to be able to get up and get in your vehicle and then unask the place. The times when the situations get bad are in urban sprawls where Maybe you'll run into traffic, and now because you're in traffic, you have no other option, and you have to get your ass out of the vehicle and get away from it. You know That could be a situation where there's a wildfire, and you don't have the time to access your car or get to your car. You just need to grab what you have and bug the hell out. So you always want to think about it in that context, that, hey, all your survival gear can be in the back of your vehicle on a bigger scale, the upgraded version of it. All right, so that wraps up this episode. You know, soon I'm going to start having guests on the show in survival, guests who are specialists in off-road travel, overlanding. It's going to be an awesome experience because you could take other people's perspective. I plan to do this podcast, the first 25 or so episodes, and do it on my own just to build the base and then start bringing in guests. So it's going to be phased. You know, I can't wait to start doing that because I want you guys to get a different take from different experiences. Before we go, I would like to answer one of the Instagram questions that I got recently. And I don't want to do this more often, especially if I get dual questions or multiple questions in the same genre. But the question was, after you got out of the military or after you got out of the army in special operations, was there any regrets looking back on your military career? And do you wish you could take anything back? And that's a really good question because I feel like there's a lot of people out there who have bad experiences versus good experiences. And so if you hear nothing but bad experiences, then you might have a skewed perspective of what the experience would be like. You know, on that topic, the other day, I was talking to a guy's brother, and the brother was a Vietnam veteran who flew helicopters. So I assumed that his brother from that same time period had served in the army as well. And I asked him, I said, hey, did you serve in the military? He said, no, he didn't. He was going to go into the military in 1974, which was really the peak of all this opposition, American society's opposition to the war. So protests were going on. They were spitting on vets, calling them baby killers. This huge debacle, right? So he asked me, he goes, hey, were you a Green Beret? And I said, yeah, I was a Green Beret. 
And he said, well, funny story, I wanted to be a Green Beret. And he said he walked into the recruiting office in 1974, and he goes in there and he, he said this recruiter was fat, which obviously is a first bad impression. But he said to him, he said, hey, I want to be a Green Beret. And the recruiter looked at him and said, what the F makes you think you could be a Green Beret? And in that instance, he looks at the recruiter, picks up his paperwork, and then walks out. And that one moment, that one instance in life, that recruiter had the opportunity to take this guy and mold him or mentor him to be something successful in the military. But instead, it turns into a bad experience and changes really this guy's life. You know, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, it, it changed his life completely in one sentence. So here's what I'll tell you about my personal experience in joining the Army. Look, the Army is like a relationship. When you're in a relationship and you decide to commit to it, and it might be signing the dotted line. I mean, literally signing the dotted line because you're getting married or literally signing a contract obligating you to at least four years in the Army. Once you accept the fact that you're committed to that relationship, the fallback is always going to be, no matter how shitty it is, no matter how many bad experiences you have, you know, versus the good experiences, you're still committed and you're still in it. So you're going to try your best to work at it. And I tell you that analogy because the problem with most people who have bad experiences is they focus on only the bad. And so when they have a bad experience because they have a bad team leader, they have a bad unit, they have you know these moments where things just suck, they get hyper-focused on this stuff, and then that's their lasting impression. They get out, they tell everybody, don't join the army, don't do this, don't do that. When the reality is, if they would have instead focused on the good moments and understood that you know nothing in life, whether it's the military, relationships, just life in general, is going to be perfect. But if you, if you keep working at it and have a desire to do your best, then you'll get through it and have a good experience instead. So no, I have no regrets over the course of my military career, even though I had a myriad of bad experiences. I mean, I've had some shit experiences in leadership and deployments in almost every bad experience that you could fathom. I've probably had it, but I don't think about those instances because, you know, the, the old motto of the army back in the day was be all you can be. And I like that motto. It should be the, the army's motto. Now, the reason it's a good motto, because it's true. If you want to be the best in the military, let's say you want to be operating in special operations at the highest levels. The army has those opportunities that are always afforded to people and you just have to take them. You have to take the chance. And then if you take the chance and you work really hard and you don't give up, you don't quit, at the end of it, you're going to have all these great memories and have absolutely no regrets. So I hope that helps, man. And I know it's a difficult decision, especially with family and friends telling you not to do something. It's a tough decision to join the military. But again, once you sign the dotted line, you get your head right, commit to it, and never look back, man. Always look for the positive and be all you can be. That sounds cheesy, but absolutely just be all you can be. Hey, guys, I appreciate the support on the episodes. You know, I, I can't do this without you guys. You guys are listening to these podcasts. You guys are tuning in, leaving feedback. You're telling your buddies, I appreciate all that stuff, man. You guys are busting your ass for me. And in turn, that fuels me to wake up every morning and stay motivated to give you as much 
relevant lessons learned and information that I can to make you better prepared and survival mindset, natural man-made catastrophes, the list goes on. I just appreciate the support, guys. Again, you guys can find us on philcraftsurvival.com, my social media handle, Soft Survivor and Philcraft Survival on Instagram. We're also on Twitter as IG Soft Survivor, and you can catch us on Facebook at Philcraft Survival. Till next time, guys, stay alert, stay alive.